Welcome, and thanks for joining me, Keen Barclay, on Down the Tunnel. Trust. It's a critical element to being successful in the game of soccer. Trust between coaches and players, players and coaches, coaches in their own staff, and, and players with all of the staff. Robert Spain is one of those coaches who has built trust as a fundamental block of his career. He went from a small town in Alabama to the Los Angeles Galaxy to the Columbus Crew and some colleges along the way. Now, he's the head men's soccer coach at Lincoln Memorial University here in Tennessee. Today, we're going down the tunnel with Robert Spain. All right, Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Keen. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, I'm uh, I'm excited to get to get another Tennessee uh, a program some uh, some airtime and, and talk about your journey. Of course, man. We gotta we gotta keep the love in the state, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, you uh, you grew up. Did you grow up in Tennessee playing, or or how did you get started? Uh, yeah, I was I was actually born um, in Nashville. Uh, family moved a little bit uh, around to Texas, and then eventually, I always say that I I technically like grew up in Alabama. Yeah, that's where I went to like middle school and high school. And that's where I really started to play um, kind of not serious, but more, you know, as you get older. Um, so, yeah, I would just I would say I'm a southern southern kid through and through. Texas, Tennessee and Alabama, I think uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good collaboration right there. Yeah. And then college in West Virginia, I should have the worst redneck accent possible. I don't know how I don't, but I need to see what kind of tattoos you have. I barely have one. <laughs> Again, I don't fit the bill. I don't fit the same uh, same profile. So, did you uh, did you have family that played soccer, or how did you get started to begin with? Uh, literally, uh, no. So to answer your question, no. My mom, my mom and dad um, bought a soccer for dummies book when I got to high school. That that is how little they they know about the game. Um, they threw me in it just like you know, seven, eight years old or whatever, like, just keep this kid busy. Let's have him play every single sport year round. Um, so that's how I got started. And I just kind of kept liking it more and more and got more and more serious about it. And obviously this was dent when like Bruce Arena was, was the national team coach and you're watching world cup games at 3 AM. I just got hooked. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like when we all like, so Italy 90 was definitely the time when I fell in love with the game, just watching the U S I think I had a my first coach had a had one of those massive satellites, you know, that were like yeah. those are the only people that had soccer, and he taped all the every game. So I think I still have every Italy '90 World Cup game on a VHS somewhere. So did you uh, after high school? Did you uh, did you know you wanted to play college soccer, or how did that how did that come about? Yeah, good question. I mean, it wasn't even a consideration for me uh, to play in college, to be fair to you, like, or to be honest with you. Uh, I, mean, I was recruited by one small D3 school, uh, and that's it. Uh, I knew nobody that played in college soccer. I didn't know any contacts. I didn't know how the camp game worked. I, literally, I wasn't even on the radar at all. So I just went to school and uh, went to a school that, that I didn't try to play at. It just kind of was 
I was a student and I hated it my first semester. And that, that motivated me at, you know, 19 years old to kind of start over uh, and try to find a way in on a team. I needed to be on a team. I needed that structure. Um, and I kind of was a late bloomer in that regard and just fighting my way, my way onto a, onto a team and into a program. That's great. And so then that changed your entire college experience, I assume, for the next three and a half years? Uh, totally. <laughs> totally, man. I mean, my journey was so weird. Like, I, I took time off of school. I uh, worked for AmeriCorps, which is, which is kind of like the Peace Corps, except instead of in another country, you're just here working with a nonprofit. So I worked full time for an entire year with Habitat for Humanity. Um, and while I was doing that, I was, I was a goalkeeper trainer for a really high level uh, goalkeeper in the area. And that kind of was like, you know what, like, I want to be a coach. So I went to a school to, to study sport administration and play. And it, I'm so fortunate that I just kind of took that time off and be like, what do I want to do with life? Like, I don't just want to go to college. I want to get out of college with something I want to do so that, yeah, it definitely kind of changed everything. That's like a, that's a unique route into coaching. You know, a lot of the, a lot of people in coaching just had always played and only knew the sport. And, you know, it was kind of like their way. I mean, for me, played, I always had everything about my life was driven through soccer. Whereas yours is unique because it's more like, you know, you, you got into it because you loved impacting the lives like that. And it was like, whoa, this is so cool in terms of, you know, the kind of impact you can have on people. And that drew you into coaching. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of joke a couple times with, uh, with different people that I'm like the Forrest Gump <laughs> of soccer or of co- soccer coaching of like, I'm not only am I from Alabama, that makes sense, obviously the Alabama connection, but I kind of just stumbled into it and you're around the right people at the right time. And it's kind of like, you know, Hey, things happen. So it's kind of fun. And then, so, so you graduated and then did you start looking for a coaching job or did it fall in your lap again? No. Um, so when I graduated, I was a sport administration uh, major and, and I'd, I'd taken school pretty seriously once I found, um, you know, University of Charleston. And uh, my coach was fantastic. He was the national coach of the year my senior year. I was the, the captain of the team or co-captain of the team. Um, I, there was no like grad assistant route. That wasn't a possibility. So I ended up going and working in major league soccer, like in sales and marketing. I found myself in Los Angeles uh, working for the LA Galaxy, like literally like lowest man on the totem pole in the administration, like selling tickets and, you know, working with his supporters groups. Um, I just happened to be there at the time that Beckham and Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan were all there. So it was like 2011 and 12, I think. Okay. Um, That's what I did right out of college. So it was kind of not even coaching, just kind of being around the game and like being around the business side of it. Yeah, talk about like full immersion into the game. Like, I think that's probably a dream experience in terms of getting just completely immersed. Yeah, honestly, like it was. I mean, it was it was incredible. Not only to live in LA. Here I am, a small town kid from Alabama, and you're living in Los Angeles and working for the Galaxy with the biggest names in the country and recognized around the world. And they were the best team in the league at that time. You know, won both uh, MLS cups and. Um, I got a ring out of it from the 2011 season, which is kind of cool. But honestly, like it, it was the best situation because had we not won and had, had I not been able to experience kind of that big, big city life, I probably would still be doing it. But all of that kind of left me like unfulfilled. And I was like, I want to be on the field. I don't care about the badge that I'm wearing and 
walking around and getting to like, you know, be at the stadium and with the credential on, that didn't matter at, at that point because we'd already tasted all that. So I just wanted to find a way to get on the field and actually coach. And so then how did the first opportunity present itself for you to do that? Uh, I literally left Major League Soccer with a ring, um, tried to go home to like help start a, a minor league club, which I was way in over my head. Um, didn't even come close. Um, and I ended up going to be a D3 assistant coach. Huh. So it was kind of like, yeah, like totally like start over, which I was willing to do because I just wanted to coach, you know, that was, that's all I really wanted to do. Uh, you know, but there's, I think there's so much to be said for experiencing so many different radical ends of the game in terms of like your skill set. I think there's a lot of value to like, kind of like leaving one box and going in a completely different direction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I, it's not even just like my mindset. It was just my parents, like my dad, uh, he was an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, started a restaurant and then sold the restaurant and worked to work for somebody. It just was this constant cycle of like having different ideas and trying to figure out how to solve those problems. So I guess me and my sisters just kind of grew up seeing that that is like the purpose of life of like improving and solving problems and helping other people. And it's kind of like a hippie, <laughs> hippie response, but uh, it kind of, you know, bled into our lives. And that's kind of what we, what we've been doing since then. And so what the, what was the D3 school that you ended up getting an assistant job with? It was, it's called Moravian college. It's in Bethlehem. So it's literally like right next to like Lehigh. If you're, uh, if you're familiar with like the D1 world. Okay. Um, and I, I wasn't, paid i was i was literally all i was paid in meals and housing um so i had no bills at that point really like it was just kind of a intern i think is what they called it sure. you live with you know the intern from the basketball team or the football team or whatever uh there was no like ga like a grad assistant like you know that that didn't exist so it was kind of just do you want to coach cool all right well you don't get any money but you also don't have to pay any money so you know, if you're willing to do it, let's go. <laughs> and so <clears throat> what role did you have there? Did you, did you get to like run training sessions or was it like a purely mentorship type experience where you just learned from the head coach or how was that experience? So I was the, I was brought in cause uh, the goalkeeper experience. Um, and obviously the, the quote unquote high level, you know, D2 playing experience. Uh, so that was kind of my role of like, bring a bring a background of like what it's like to play in conference titles and or conference finals and uh you know the NCAA tournament um uh, being around you know good coaches good players and then I was training the goalkeepers so you know obviously you touch a little bit of the other areas of the program of the recruiting and and seeing the the, the big team sessions and stuff but that was kind of my role is like this is your box be good at that box um you know and if you are like other people want to hire you down the road okay and then I assume that you were good in that box. I don't know. I, <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. All I knew is I didn't want to get boxed into being a goalkeeper coach only. Um, and I wanted to try my hand at, at everything. So I, I went to go be a D3 head coach, but it was part-time. So the pay was a four-digit salary, uh, if you can yep. wrap your head around that. It wasn't great, but I wanted to uh, you know, prove myself and prove that I was more than just a goalkeeper coach. Yeah, I think that often becomes a challenge for a lot of goalkeepers, right? They they get they yeah. get kind of pigeonholed into only getting goalkeeper coach positions. So I think it's like almost an added challenge for goalkeepers. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, at that time, I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, oh, am I always going to be seen as a goalkeeper coach? I was just more curious of, you know, can I apply the things I've learned and actually help the rest of the team? Like, can I do that? Uh, and the only way I was going to know if is if I had my own team and my own program. And so I was willing to do anything to get that shot to see if I could prove myself. And so how did that go in terms of like establishing your fingerprint and having your own program? Uh, great question. I, I'm going to be very honest with you. I was a terrible coach. I was absolutely terrible. Um, this is me looking back, you know, six years ago or whatever it was, but on paper, it looked great. You know, I, I took a team that was three and 16 and the only season I was there, we were 12, seven and one. So it was like statistically one of the largest turnarounds in division three history. Um, just, I guess, based on like the wind differential, there's like a oh, stats about it with like the, the, the record book. Um, but when you look into all of it, like there's a lot of factors that go into winning and losing. Right. And I don't know if I actually attributed much to it. I was just fortunate to be there and I just tried to not mess it up. Um, that's kind of the way I look at it. But now, like knowing what I know now and everything I've experienced, I look back at that. I was like, I was a terrible head coach, but I was 27, 28 years old. And it's okay to like realize that you were bad. I just got to get improved from that point you know I think that's a huge part of it is like looking back and recognizing you know what you would do differently and and recognize some of our own flaws I think that's such a huge element in terms of coaching development it's like can you look back and can you recognize and and, you know accept that it's like you know what I I messed that up this is what I would do differently and these are the steps I'm going to take moving forward in order to not make those same mistakes oh yeah exactly I mean the funny thing is, is I talk about, uh, you know, so Dan, what Dan Keith, he was the assistant for me there at Pitt Greensburg, but also he's, I brought him here uh, where I am now at L- LMU. And we joke about it all the time that um, we started out the season 0 and 4. So uh, my first four games as a college head coach, we were 0 and 4. Um, and my dad had passed away four days before the season. So I was like, you know, I was wrecked, man. I was totally wrecked. And we just, literally threw everything out the window after that fourth game and like you know what we're going to change everything from then on we won like 12 out of 13 games the guys were flying and I was like wow okay maybe I was the problem maybe I was trying way too much um so we joke about it all the time of like that fifth game really was a turning point (laughs) everything changed you know that's awesome yeah so there's something to be said about uh keeping your staff you know and, and what is it about that why do coaches like keep their their people, I guess I should say, with them wherever they go. You kind of see that across the country in a lot of programs where, like, staffs move together. Yeah, I think it's trust, honestly. Like, um, you know, you, you see, like, environments and cultures in different sports and even outside of sports, just in the business world and the startup world. Um, you're trying to develop an environment of trust. You're trying to have the players trust you. You're trying to show that you trust the players, and it's not a crazy hierarchy of, like, do this because I said so. That doesn't work in our sport because we can't call timeouts and call plays. So if you're trying to build an environment of trust and you can bring people that you trust and they trust you, that's a huge starting point because now it's not just me. It's it's two people that are are building it and then you can get a third person and that it's compounding. It just kind of like changes everything. But then at some point you got you to gotta let the birdie go, right? I mean, yeah. is there like a point where you want to push your assistant on for the right positions for them to take their own program. And 
Is that something that you work with with your staff, or or how, what does that look like? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So when I when I left that D three school, um, I I knew I was going to leave uh, and go be a volunteer at a D one program. Um, and before I left, I I named Dan the interim, or sorry, not interim, the associate head coach, basically forcing the AD to <laughs> to uh, to name him the head coach when I left, and and that's what they did, and he deserved it. Um, and then obviously coming here, he he's trying to learn more things so he can improve and, and get the next opportunity um but yeah i mean at some point like we all want to continue to improve and and the only way you can improve is by trial and error sometimes sometimes you just need experience um so yeah i mean that, that's a conversation we have all the time we're we're trying to uh constantly push ourselves and learn from each other and go out and get other information and um and bring it back and, and teach each other it's, it's just a constant like coaching education environment it's like bittersweet when that happens too though so you you've built this like incredible relationship with an assistant coach who whom you probably spend more time with than some of your family members and then when the time's right to send them to their next their next step that's that's right for them then you kind of got to start all over again with somebody else in terms of building that trust and that culture and all that stuff with your staff so it's it's a little bittersweet then yeah it's just like players though i mean if you have a senior that you've been with for three, four years, and you know he's going to graduate. It's going to happen. Uh, part of our job is to be preparing the next guys beneath him to fill that role. And you already have built trust with that person, so you don't have to start from scratch. It's kind of a, a revolving cycle of, of people that are all learning from each other, and it's getting better and better and better every single year. Um, it's the exact same with players and the exact same with coaches. So like whenever Dan does move on, if it's after a year, two years, three years, whatever – you know, hopefully we have players able to step up in that role or grad assistants are able to step up in that role, whatever the situation is. And we don't have to just go hire somebody that's like, hey, listen, I don't know you from Adam, but your resume looks cool. Let's give it a shot. I just don't want to go down that route if we don't have to. Yeah, it's, that's the difficult part, isn't it? You know, like you almost need to have a plan um, for who's going to be coming up as the men coach. You know, it's like I've always looked at it as, yeah. you know, the head coach is preparing that assistant coach and you want them to take a program you want them to coach their own team even though you love them you generally love them because you spend so much time with them you want selfishly you want to keep them because it's like hey this works we know each other so well like we work well together but ultimately i need to get you on your own program because that's the next challenge the next step for you so then part of that plan or part of that process is we've got to get the next person in and we we were very transparent and open with them of like this is how things work. This is how we need to communicate. This is how our relationship works. It's like you said, it's not just a resume. Like, okay, that's great. You've coached here. You've done this. You have these accolades, but what your experiences are, are, you know, highly rated you are. It's, a, it's about you as a human being. Yep, exactly. It's about the connection and it's about, can you go then establish that for yourself and work with other people? Can you build that environment yourself? Uh, I love that. I mean, why not? Like, I'm never going to tell somebody you're not allowed to leave or you're, you're forced out or whatever. It's definitely a kind of a, a relationship standpoint instead of a, um, you know, puzzle piece of just like everybody is this, you know, whatever they are on paper. Uh, it has to go deeper than that. Absolutely. So then you guys did this horrendous job at your D3 school. However, you turned the program <laughs> around. What, what was next? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's funny. Um, the, the head coach at Northern Illinois at the time, his name was Eric Luzzi, uh, he sent an email out to 
all of the D2 and D3 coaches in the country basically saying like, hey, we have this volunteer spot. Um, ideally, it'd be a goalkeeper coach. Um, here's our staff. They would fill in the staff. This is a, a, a big time high mid-major D1. We play against Akron every year, yada, yada, yada. Do you guys know anybody that would be interested that you can put me in contact with? And I looked at the email and I was like, you know what? I don't know anybody else, but I would be interested. So I emailed him back like, Hey, like, I don't know if you're even wanting to consider somebody like us, but I would be interested to do this. Um, he called me like right back. I was like, why would you be interested? You run your own program. It's like, well, I need to continue to learn and I want to learn. So I, I want to be on staff with three other guys that know what the hell they're doing. And that's what I want. I want that every single day. So it just kind of worked out perfectly. Like I was just really fortunate that he reached out to all of us and that he actually listened to, or read my email and responded to me. So then, so then you moved to DeKalb, Illinois, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought on a map, I was like, Hey, this is like less than 16 miles outside of Chicago. This is going to be cool. Oh. In Chicago, 16 miles is like a three hour commute. <laughs> so it's not anywhere near Chicago. And all the corn um, that blocks it, your view along the way. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was fun, man. It was really fun. And, um, I stumbled again. This is why I keep saying a Forrest Gump. Like I just stumbled into it. It wasn't just Eric. Like, you know, he was an incredible uh, person to be around like how he ran the staff, but the associate head coach, uh, his name was Garrett Biller. Now was one of the top scouts in, in America for the U S national team. And the other assistant was Ross Brady. Um, and he's now one of the top coaches in the Chicago fire Academy. So literally looking back, it's like, dude, we had an incredible staff and I learned from them every single day. I'm just so fortunate. I said yes and drove out there. Well, and I, I'm in, like through this conversation, I'm envisioning you like knocking on all their doors. Like, Hey, what are you guys working on? Can you show me what you're doing? Is that, is that what it looked like or what? Yeah. Well, we actually like worked in like open cubicle settings. Like all of our desks were like together. And then Eric, uh, you know, we didn't call him Eric, everybody's cousin Luz. Luz like had a, like actual office with a door and everything, you know, to meet with players and stuff. So it was the three assistants and we were all just kind of together working on advanced scouts, working on recruiting, working on training, like you name it, camps, whatever. Um, and my desk was right in between those two guys, uh, right in between Ross and Garrett. So every single day it was just like, Hey, check this out. Like, look at this player. Like, what do you think of this? Like, it was just, it was like a master's degree. It was pretty cool. What an experience that was. So then it's um, crazy. No, none of us at the time thought we were any good. We, we all just thought, oh, we're just college soccer coaches. And now it's like, dude, we uh, we probably should have been better. <laughs> we probably should have had a better record <laughs> looking back like uh, all of us. What did we do wrong? You know, it's, just, it's a learning opportunity. Yeah, same thing. It's like looking back, you know, it was like, what what were we doing? What would we do differently? Where did we miss the mark? You know, but uh, I think yep. that's such a great mentality. Oh, you have to. I mean, it's. You got to go forward. You know, I mean, we're all young. We have, I mean, American soccer is growing rapidly. Like who are we to say like we're stuck? No, it's gotta be, it's gotta be growth every single day. Cause we have a long way to go. Yeah. So from the recruiting aspect, I don't, I don't know if it was next after NIU or not, but you obviously picked something up with the uh, player evaluations, right? Because um, at some point Columbus crew came along, right? Yeah, there there was a stop before Columbus. So after NIU, um, I just wanted to have my shot at recruiting because you know it, as a volunteer, you're not one of the accountable recruiters. So I couldn't go off campus to recruit at NIU. 
Um, so when they would all go to showcases and events, I was stuck, you know, running sessions for the local club or whatever it was. And I, I knew that was my next step. So I went back to Pittsburgh uh, at Duquesne, which is a, a mid-major in the A-10. Um, and I was really fortunate that Chase, the head coach there, like basically said, like, hey, you're going to go recruiting and you're going to kind of be a recruiting coordinator uh, from the get-go. And then I earned that title uh, a little bit shortly after that. And I just wanted to go out on the, on the road and recruit and, um, and kind of see how I could do it and how those conversations were going and um, how I was going to prepare before events. I just wanted to prove myself. That's kind of the, the chip on your shoulder mentality, you know? So I did well there and um, just happened to be like, I was recruiting, you know, the local MLS club. I mean, they were three hours away from us and I was trying to recruit Abubakar Keita, um, some of the other players ended up at, at big programs. Uh, I can't really say their names because that would be they're in college now and I'm technically in college, so I can't really say their names. But I was recruiting the biggest – I was trying to recruit the biggest names. And the academy general manager, Dennis, was just like, hey, you got a good eye. Like, what do you want to do after this? And um, had the conversation and it started to kind of – build up steam of like that was a possibility that they were looking for of, of bringing somebody with that profile to the academy to then recruit kids for the academy um and it kind of just went from there and so recruiting for an academy what, what does that look like oh man uh it's what's way different um <laughs> it's totally different than being at, at duquesne um or any really college for that matter but they I didn't understand how different it was going to be even going through the, um, you know, the, the hiring process, you know, Greg, Greg interviewed me and kind of put me through the ringer. And I thought it was, he was just showing how tough he was not how tough he was, but like how, you know, this is an MLS club. We do things different. And then you get in there and it is very different. Um, there's just, so, I mean, we could talk probably a whole different, whole different podcast about it. Um, but it's obviously the resources are quite different. Um, the goal is very different. You're not just trying to find players to fill your team and be good on your team, but you have to project to the future of what are they going to be five years from now, six years from now, eight years from now? Are we going to be able to sell them? You know, Alfonso Davies money. Um, are they ever going to sign? Are they just going to be a college player and that's it? You know, what is the ceiling for this kid? So it's the mindset is totally different and it's, it's all merit-based. There is no, ego there is no hey my buddy is this and he's going to hook me up you, you have to be good um so being in that environment for two years is pretty pretty life-changing uh, i mean it's just like it just forces you to to be on top of your game and when you say you interviewed with greg you're talking about greg berhalter for those who don't know who's now the current head men's national team coach yeah yeah um which obviously none of us knew he was going to be the national team coach at that time but um, so Dennis Sanchez was the Academy general manager. He's the one that kind of was like, Hey, if you'd be interested in this, here's an assignment, complete this assignment, send it in within a week. Um, and we'll see if, if this is going to be a good fit. So I, I did the assignment. Um, I was my wife, my now wife, she was, uh, my fiance at the time, but she could tell you I was up until like 4 AM every single day. I, I didn't know if Greg was going to look at it, but this is the, an MLS first team manager and, I'm getting looked at for possibly being in, in an MLS club. I'm going to take this serious. So I put together like, I think it was like 60 pages uh, of like an assignment with videos and animations and 
player values and I answered all their questions. Um, so I guess they liked it. And, and then that's when Dennis was like, Hey, Greg wants to talk to you and interview you. So I was like, Oh, I was like sweating and like freaking out. And, <laughs> um, so <laughs> he called me and it was just like, um, Hey, so, so why do you think we should sign this player? um in this position like why based on your research why do you think this fits and just kind of testing me and then he would he asked me well which player on our current team should we release like who do you think we can improve from our our main starting 11 and I'm here I am just a college coach like why should I tell you that you should release somebody is this a trick question I don't know but so I, I named a player and you know three months after I started the job they released that player so I got right I got it right like uh, they, well, they didn't release him. They sold him or traded him. But so I guess we were thinking the same thing. And I guess that's how I got the job. But um, I just wanted him to to know that I cared enough to prepare a lot so that I wasn't just taking it like, you know, I'll just give you two pieces of, of information on a Word document. I wanted to like be, be really, really thorough, which fortunately, that's exactly how how his mind works. And so tell, tell me a little bit about like what the, what your day-to-day, you know, life looked like when you're recruiting players to get into, this was the Columbus Crew Academy, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, well, there's really two segments of my time in Columbus. So when we went there, it was, we're going to be in Columbus forever. You know, this is a really unique project. The integration with the first team is super unique. Um, Greg is overseeing the academy as well, so he's around all the time. His son was in the academy. Um, Josh Wolf's sons were in the academy. Like everybody was, it was like a really tight knit family, uh, family type feel. That changed obviously when the owner of the uh, the club wants to move the team to Austin, Texas. So my job changed quite a bit. Yep. So I'll answer that kind of in two parts. The first part, in chronological order. Um, day to day is every single day you have to go to first team training, uh, which is like 9am, 10am. Um, so the whole idea is how are the academy coaches and how are, how am I as the head academy scout, how am I going to know what we're developing players for if we're not around the first team every single day? So we would go to first team training and around lunch, we'd go get, you know, it'd be over. We would go get lunch and then we would go to our office, um, uh, the coaches would be planning sessions. Um, most of the days I would go to sessions in the afternoon and in evenings. And then on the weekends, I would either go locally to to tournaments or I'd go to, you know, showcases. And, and basically you're trying to watch players before colleges are watching them. So you're trying to watch 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds that possibly could be moving uh, away from their parents at, you know, 14 or 15. Um, so you have enough time to develop them and, and possibly see if they could sign. So we were trying to get away from like getting an 18 year old for a one year situation before he goes to college. Um, so that's, it just changed everything from like recruiting a 17 year old to now recruiting a 13 year old. That's very, very different. The parents are a lot more involved. The club is a lot more involved. Um, and then obviously, like I said before, is trying to project what they're going to be in, in the future. That's a very different game than, who can impact my team right now, which is the way college is. Um, and then obviously like when the owner came out and said he wants to move the team, it became a lot more about looking players at, in Texas, but also looking in Columbus. Are we going to stay? Are we going to leave? Um, but then really the day-to-day kind of became more of like uh, learning more about the profiles, learning more about 
uh, the, the principles of play and, and the methodology and how we're going to explain all this to double pass when they visit. And we really had to kind of work more together to educate each other because we didn't know how long we were going to be together. Right. Um, we didn't know if we were all going to go to Austin or we we're all going to go leave. And it, it was chaos. And it was just trying to figure out how can we make the best of this while, while we're all together and maybe we'll be able to utilize this together. And if not, we're all going to be individually better off for it. So it was kind of a, two totally different um, experiences. Yeah, probably not the prototypical experience for an academy when you're, when you're talking about a, a potential massive transition like that. Yeah, it was, it was weird, man. I mean, we were, we were literally having to put together lists of players of, you know, talking with families of would these players move to Austin with us? Because technically that ownership group owns their rights. Right. Um, so, you know, you talk about these kids, like, are they going to move down with us? Are the parents going to allow them? Or did we just put all this time and effort into them for nothing? Yeah. And then from my side, I'm recruiting kids to come to Columbus and all the parents know, well, are you guys going to stay in Columbus? Are you going to take my son to Austin? What's going on? Uh, it was it was definitely difficult, but it, it made us all better just from having to deal with it. I mean, ultimately, it's like, do you want to live in Columbus, Ohio, or do you want to go to Austin, <laughs> Texas? <laughs> hey, take your pick, you know. <laughs> so, you know, did you got was it was it a residential academy? Was it all American kids? Did you have a lot of internationals? Like, what did that look like? No, actually, you're not really allowed to have internationals because uh, of FIFA, like, you know, child labor and all that stuff. Okay. Um very very rare that you have that they have to be 18 years old to kind of get around the whole fifa which is why you hear about like oh christian pulisic could go early to Bayern because he had a passport he had a uh, european passport um, so it's the exact same thing for the opposite so we did have one player there's a you know south korean but he was 18 um and he wanted to go to college so he wanted to come over and we, we made that work but no other than that every single player has an american passport or citizenship um, and we weren't residential. We had host families. So, um, and I actually believe that quite a bit. Like Dennis was, was amazing with that. And Greg supported that as well, that these kids, if they're going to be away from their family, their personal family, then they need to be around a family setting where they're having family cooked meals. They have, you know, somebody driving them to, to campus or uh, to, um, to, to training and they have somebody supporting them. Um, instead of just stick them in a dorm and say, good luck. Like 14 year olds are not, not prepared for that. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, in, in England, when they're in academy, they, they kind of have the same type of a thing. They have the host families where they live with them and, yep. you know, to create that, that environment psychologically where it's like, you're, you still have like a family, you know, that's there to kind of care for you because they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we found a lot of traction with our host families were current, families in the academy already so it was either you know we would bring in a player that you know is 14 and his host family is a, a player on the u19s and well now he's got a big brother and they work together and the, or the other way you bring a 16 year old player in and his host family is a is a family of a player that's on the u13s now he's got a little brother so it, it's kind of forcing that family environment onto everybody in the club and supporting the the player that's coming in. I think that's massive, you know, and I would love to pick your brain a little bit on like, you know, when you talk about evaluating these kids, when you were recruiting for the Academy, like you, you're looking for kids that you think have the right mentality to be a first team pro, as opposed to this kid might be the best kid on the field that you go see, but mentally like he's not going to adapt 
to the professional environment. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, even there's a step before that is how is he going to adapt moving away from his family and how is he going to adapt to being in training with kids his own age where they're all better than him or the same exact level? I mean, let's face it, in Columbus, we very rarely were having access to get a kid already identified, already on the youth national team. If they're already on the youth national team, Seattle, L.A., Philly, you know, list all the clubs. They already knew about these kids. Yep. Um, and for Columbus, we didn't have a USL program. They still don't have a USL program. So it was very rare we were going to get those guys. So we had to go find guys that were different, that um, weren't already in the kind of uh, quote-unquote system. They were kind of uh, on the outskirts, and, and we had to see something different in them. And you're right, like it, mentality was, was one of the main components that we were looking for. But obviously you're looking for, you know, does the way they play, do they fit with what we try to do? Because it's, it's kind of different. Um, you know, what is their projection going to be, uh, you know, positionally? Are they going to be able to train and play up in age groups and kind of progress uh, on that pathway? There's a lot of different questions, but you're right. Like some of that stuff you don't even see. Uh, until the, the third, fourth, fifth time you see a kid. And it's really hard to track 13, 14-year-olds yeah. <laughs> all over the country. It's, it's not an easy, easy job. No, I mean, you're looking, you know, it's like such a message to those kids. Like you're looking for the very, the minute details that give you a little peek into their character in the limited amount of interactions you have with them. Like, is that kid, is he, is he late to warm-ups? Does he, is he like the last guy to get his gear ready? Does he kind of not really give a full effort in the warm up, and you know does he kind of mess around with his equipment it's like these are all windows into the character of that kid and so it's like yep. even though he might step on the field and be the best player it's like he's not going to thrive in an environment where if that's great that you're the big fish in the small pond of, of the team or the club or the league that you're playing in but you you know once you get into that mls level it's like it's all irrelevant and so i think for me personally, I feel like that mental, that psychological, the mental strength that those players demonstrate in those little bitty things that you, that you get a sneak peek at, that's going to give you an indication into their character. And that's such a massive component for the type of people you need to bring in. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and, and there's guys that, that I brought in that I thought this kid's incredible. He's what, what a great player this guy is. He's miles above the other guys around him. He's going to fit in and yeah, he fits in, but then he can't deal you know, with being away from home and maybe taking some online school or being in supplemental training or whatever. And there's other guys like, you know what, I think there's something there. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then six months in, it's like, Whoa, this kid's special. I, I'm really glad I took a shot on this kid. Um, wow. Like he's really proven me right. So, yeah, I mean, none of us knew for sure. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a lottery. Like you just want, can you, can you have a couple numbers already filled in or, you know, you never really know if a kid's going to hit it big or if it's going to be just kind of a bust, which it's, it sucks to talk about teenagers that way, but that's just the market that everybody talks about. Like, uh, is this going to be worth something? Is it going to sign ever? Like, that's just the game that you have to play, and it's hard to uh, kind of find that balance. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of experience the same thing coaching in college, right, when you, when you recruit a kid, and it's like there's a lot of upside, a high ceiling, but sometimes those kids – again in in the a higher environment like they're a bust you hate to, to phrase it yep. that way but i think college coaches i mean i can speak personally and say it's like there were some kids that i that i recruited that ended up being a bust but then there's kids that come in that, that exceed your expectations too yeah oh exactly i'm i 
I'll tell the story. I'm allowed to talk about this kid because he's already signed. Um, Juan Castilla uh, didn't get a lot of pub when he signed with Houston. He's a 2004 right now, so that means he's 15 years old. Um, but he wasn't with Houston. He was totally free. He was playing in an ODP setup. His coach, actually, uh, for his age group, was a U.S. national team scout. Um, and he came off the bench for his like age group. And they put him in the wrong position. He was out on the wing. And I saw him play, and I was like, you know what? This kid's incredible. Uh, he's decent on the ball. He's a little late developer or whatever. But when I met him. He came up on his visit. He, it's, it's the mentality that you're talking about. He was just – he was like a 28-year-old man in a 13-year-old's body. It was crazy. Um, he was just so respectful, everything. He trained with us for a week. We put him up with the older group. He was incredible. Every single one of our players was like, this kid's special. Uh, he stayed with a host family, dealt with some some crazy stuff off the field, and um, was away from his family at you know 14 years old. Um, and then obviously all the crew, everybody leaving, he, he went back home to Houston, and Houston was like, we need to take this kid. So they picked him up, and then they signed him. Um, so he's now a homegrown. <laughs> he's the youngest homegrown in Houston Dynamo history, but literally two years ago, three years ago, he was on a U.S. national team scouts team, and he was never brought up in conversations for the U.S. national team. Um, but a month with us in Columbus, there he goes. He gets called in. Yeah. Um, and now he's signed. It, it's He's not big. He's not strong. He's just crafty, and it's just like different mentality stuff where you're going to bet on that kid. Yeah. And he may be a, he may be a bust, but I don't think so. He's just he's just too mature. He's going to figure it out. Uh, and that's what Houston's betting on. I'm, I'm willing to bet. I've never had a conversation with him, but um, – it's wild because right before he signed, there were Premier League teams that were doing so much research that they were reaching out to me. I had a Premier League team reach out to me about this kid, like, hey, this kid, you know, what's his deal? What's his mentality like? And I put him in contact with the father. And so, I mean, it's like that just tells you, like, how much information they're trying to dig. And it's just it's, it's really crazy. It's pretty cool. Well, and then that shows you, I think, the message from that story to, to kids playing is like, it's OK you know, for somebody to, to cut you or to put you on a B team or it's like, don't yeah. let that define you because here no. this kid is sitting on the bench for a supposed, you know, U.S. national team coach um, that didn't recognize his potential. And so it's like it could happen to anybody. And so you, the, the message is keep working. Don't let that define you, like keep driving, keep working hard and use it as motivation to continue like pushing yourself. A hundred percent. And I, I think to take it a step further, Keen, I would even say it's it, the game is opinions, right? Everybody says that our game is opinions more than any other game, because in baseball, a good shortstop is a good shortstop. And that's applicable to any team in Major League Baseball. The market is the market yep. in our game. Some kid could see Juan, some coach could see Juan as a winger. Other teams could see him as a six or an eight. You know, right. you look at Sebastian Berhalter, who, who just started playing, you know, with the first team on at the MLS's back tournament. A lot of people would say, oh, he's too small. He's only signed because he's Greg's son, whatever, whatever. But in the crew system, he's unbelievable. I mean, he's incredible. He fits perfectly. So to take your step, to take your comment a step further, I would say when you find a coach or a scout or a recruiter or whatever that genuinely believes in you, that genuinely sees a pathway for you, attach yourself to that guy or attach yourself to that team. Like who cares about if it's 
first division, if it's ACC or if it's a mid-major or, what, or D2 or NAIA, it doesn't matter. If there is a guy or girl out there that is telling you, I believe in you and I genuinely will show you this is what we're going to do to improve your, your potential, you have to go with those guys instead of with the name that's on their shirt. Um, that's what I would take away from that story. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So at the cruise, you guys are going through, moving to Austin, staying in Columbus. So what, what happened? Did you kind of went through the process of Greg becoming the U.S. men's national team coach too then? That was all – yeah, that was like right as I was trying um, to decide if, if we're going to go to Austin or we're going to stay and nobody knew if the ownership was going to switch over. Like it was all just chaos. And in the middle of all that, Greg – you know, signed uh, to go with the national team. He, he met with us. He told us you know, ahead of time, did it everything right. He's just an incredible human being. Um, so all of us kind of had about a month to really kind of evaluate, like, what are we going to do? Um, in that time, I, there was another MLS club that, that was offering me a, a very similar job with them. They had a USL uh, program, and I was going to be able to scout with the USL team. So it was kind of a, a progression for my career. Um, but it was – thousands of miles away from home Um, and my wife and I were expecting a baby and it was just whole kind of mess of like is this the right time so we kind of had this this new MLS opportunity we had staying in Columbus maybe moving to Austin or we looked into you know hey Greg can't take with us take it can't take us with us so are we just going to go do the thing that we want to do which is secure our future and and that was um, you know finding a place that was kind of close to my family close to my wife's family we're starting a family of our own. Everybody can visit. And also there's a project that, that I believe in that I want to be a part of and I want to uh, use my experience and try to continue to learn. Um, so that's kind of what we decided to do. And we came to Lincoln Memorial, which is a, a D2 school in the uh, middle of almost nowhere, uh, north of Knoxville and uh, touches like Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee, like in the Cumberland Gap area. So that's what we decided to do. And a lot of my friends thought I was crazy. They thought, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you not staying in Columbus? Why are you not taking this other MLS job? Um, but just for the balance and, and also for my personal growth, I needed to, uh, to see what I could, what I could build in, uh, in my own project instead of just kind of continuing to learn from others. And you took the, the head men's soccer coach position at Lincoln Memorial in, what was it, January of 2019? Yes. Yeah, January 2019. Okay. Yeah, like 18 months ago. And so how was uh how has that experience been? How have you approached this challenge? Uh it's different. I I don't look at it like we're a D2 team and and I don't want that to get out like I'm arrogant. That's not it. Like we talk about it with our team all the time. Like we are approaching it like this is the pro opportunity for all these players. Like I can't promise that you're going to get, you know, combine tryouts or brought in as a trialist. Like I I can't promise that. Uh and I don't, I don't foresee that necessarily happening for a handful of guys every year. I just don't think that's possible. Um, so we look at it as like, this is our pro opportunity. I'm going to run it like it's a pro club. We're going to play like a pro club. We're going to train like that. We're going to recruit players that we believe we can develop. Um, we're basically going to try to disrupt everything that college soccer is not about, but we're going to try to do it here, and that's my experience. Um, that's where I can learn. Um, so we look at it as like a project. It, it's not a win at all costs, like college soccer, do anything you can to win. It's, we need to consistently develop. We need to have compounding energy to where one year builds on the other and builds on the other. And it's, it's getting better and better and better instead of just 
each year is different. Uh, I don't want that feeling. So it's, um, it's like building a business. That's the way we view it. And maybe that's a different experience, but that's kind of what, uh, what we signed up for, which I know it's, it's going well so far, not on paper from the outside. People are going to be like, you guys are failing, but, um, I feel like we're, we're going in the right direction for sure. It's a process. You know, I, I don't think there's any question about that, that when, when you kind of, you have a mentality based on the skill set that you've acquired over the last, you know, decade or, and more that there's a, there's a unique fingerprint that you need, that you're creating. And that's, that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and it's something that's going to take some time in order to get the right people in, get the right mentality, get the right culture, get all of these, these elements, these foundational elements, right. In order to be, you know, successful in your mind on paper, within the campus, within the athletic department, it's going to take you some time. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I told them when we were coming you know, when we were interviewing for the job and you're on campus or whatever, they kind of asked like, what is your, your expectation? And I said, listen, we're not going to be very good right away. Like on paper, I think you'll see a big difference with the way we play and the types of players and how we utilize the, the existing players. It's going to be a little different and it's going to be improved. You're going to see that, but we're not coming in here and making decisions of, I want to make a big splash. That's not what we're doing because that's not sustainable. And my goal is not to, have one good year or two good years and then bounce. That's not my goal. I need to prove that we can build a sustainable developing culture, developing style of play, developing uh, results. And that's the only thing I care about. So year one, let's be a little patient. Year two, a little less patient. Let's have a little bit more stand higher standard and on and on and on. Um, that way when we do win, it's not a, we're all looking at each other and saying, how do we do that? Do we get lucky? No, we all know inside, like, there's a conviction of what we've done all up until this point, we're going to continue doing it and we're going to win again and again and again. But how do you build that from the ground floor? That's the hard part. And so how did the, how did, how do you feel like your athletic department and your athletic director, how do you feel like they, they kind of react to that? I think, I mean, so it's really unique here. Um, there was no athletic director when I was going through the hiring process. Um, so I actually got hired by the, the vice president of the university. Oh, wow. So he's, over, over athletics. Um, and now since then they've hired an athletic director. His name is Jasher. Uh, I'm very fortunate. He's actually from very close to my hometown. He's from Alabama as well. Um, so he, he knows where I grew up in the high school and everything. So we already have a good, pretty good rapport. Um, but I think they understand that, um, LMU has so much potential in every sport you're seeing basketball and, and our, our men's basketball coach, uh, Josh shirts is, is literally the best basketball coach in the country. They're, I think his win percent is like 88%. He's like one of the highest ranking basketball coaches, D1, D2, D3. It's crazy. Um, so they see that that's possible in other sports, but it, you're not going to just do it in one year. He's been here for 11, 12, 13 years. So that's kind of the way everybody looks at it is, yeah, we understand you guys have to kind of change the direction that you're going to go. Um, the old coach wasn't doing things wrong, of course. He was very successful. He went to two Final Fours. Uh, like 13, 14 years ago, that there's something there. Um, but every coach has to kind of just shift and just change things a little bit, and that takes time. Not that one way is better or worse, but it has to make sense, and, and LMU knows that. And um, I think they've been very supportive of that for for us so far, and, and we've, we've had a couple uh, indicators of we're on the right track, and I think that gives them a lot more um, you know, confidence that, that we are going the right direction for sure. 
Well, I, I think you've had you've had such a tremendous amount of experiences um, that has have aided your your toolbox, your skill set, in order to really be um, enable you to do something special at, at Lincoln Memorial. So I know I'm excited, and you know I've been following you, and I, I appreciate you reaching out to me when you were here, and you know we've connected. Um, and I think it's for me, I'm excited to see what you're going to be able to do there over the, over the next couple of years. Me too. Me too. I mean, obviously we were looking forward to this fall, uh, and, and now that just shifts, the focus shifts to the spring. Um, but you know, everything that we're trying to do is, is different. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's not just different for different sake, but it's, it's cause it makes sense for us. But, you know, we had a lot of feedback from our peers. Uh, there were a lot of coaches last year that were in the NCAA tournament, even the, you know, the coaches that won uh, their leagues and won the national tournament, we were lucky enough to play against them. My alma mater actually won the national tournament. So I'm fortunate that we got to play them in preseason. And so many coaches were telling us like, dude, you guys are absolutely on the right track. This is totally different um, than what we've experienced. We've never played in a game like this before. We were so confused on what we're supposed to tell our players. Like if you guys keep going down this route, like you're going to build a beast. Like this is really crazy. Um, and we had other guys, other colleagues that told us, you can't do this in college soccer. It's impossible. You're going to get abused. Um, and who knows who's right? I don't know. But that's kind of the, the fun part is uh, who's going to be right. And that's up to us to kind of determine that, right? So, like, that's the fun part is that uh, we do have potential. And it's just kind of, can we keep it going? That's the beauty of soccer, isn't it? Everyone's got an opinion and they're all different. Yeah, that's true, man. It's so true. And I can't. I can't tell you how exciting it is when, uh, you know, our sport administrator, his name is Cameron Wicker. He's, he's amazing. He's one of the main guys that, that actually brought me and my wife here. And um, he was watching, he's from Charlotte. So he was excited that Charlotte got an MLS team and he was watching MLS is back, you know, this last month. And he texted me when Columbus was playing and he was like, I get it now. Like, I'm not a soccer guy, but I get it. Like, I totally get why you guys played the way you played in this, in the fall. I understand the way it looks different. I, I like this Columbus team. I'll support them until I get to go to a Charlotte game. Um, he was like, I'm just all in on what you guys are doing, man. And it's like, it's fun to like hear from administrators like that, that, that it self admittedly are not soccer people, but they're now enjoying the game because we're trying to do something that's, that's like that just in the college scale. And uh, I think that's really cool is that can we get more people that, that understand that? And it's like, all right, like this is like a minor league team. Like we're trying to do it like a minor league team or a, USL team or whatever you want to call it, second division team, instead of just college soccer, that's it, period, done. And we'll just chalk it up for that. So it's pretty cool. I think that's special and it speaks volumes about the the family environment, the culture that Lincoln Memorial has. If When you've got administrators reaching out to you, you know, just to talk, uh, to talk shop kind of, you know, I think that that really, really is encouraging, should be encouraging to you guys of like, we're all in this together as an athletic department. Like we're all supporting each other and you actually, that support is verbalized rather than implied. Um, so that's, you know, that speaks volumes about the type of environment that you guys have on your campus. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, we, I went to lunch the other day. Uh, my wife and I went to lunch with the basketball coach. His name is Josh uh, and his wife. And he was telling us like, Hey, my first year I was 500. And, uh, you know, I was already getting pressure. And then year two, we made a big jump. And then year three, we made a big jump. He's like, man, listen, like, if you feel confident you're on the right track, you got it. You got to believe in that. Like, no one's going to believe other than you. Um, so you're right. Like, when you have people that are supporting you and it is a family environment and it is kind of 
tight knit. Like that's what's special. And that's why our guys come here. They know like there's not a whole lot to do, but I'm going to be in the dorms with my teammates. I'm going to be able to go train with my teammates. I'm going to go to class and study with my teammates. What else would I want to do other than be around my guys? Like that's the whole environment. So we don't sell that there's like big parties and, you know, big frat row and stuff. That's not what this is. And, and everybody knows that. So they all come here wanting a family environment and it's our job to, to deliver that and make it better. You've got your destined for success. And I know you've got, you got a lot going on this afternoon with meetings and stuff. So um, I'll let you go. But again, I want to thank you and, and just tell you how much I appreciate you coming on um, to share all these awesome experiences. No, thanks, Keen. I, I told you initially, like, I have no idea why you <laughs> why you invited me onto this show. I, I do not deserve to be on that list at all. Uh, I mean, some of these people you're interviewing are crazy. So um, I understand it, man. I, I really I really appreciate that you're throwing us a bone and throwing me a bone. And uh, just wanted to uh, to say thank you publicly. I really appreciate it. Well, I mean, your humility speaks volumes about who you are. I think you're a tremendous coach and um, people will be lucky to have the opportunity to play for you. And we've been speaking with Robert Spain, head men's soccer coach at Lincoln Memorial University. Thanks for listening to Down the Tunnel. I'm Keen Barclay. Join us again next time as we talk all things soccer. Send your comments and questions to downthetunnel at gmail.com.